You're listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky, where cutting edge science meets the razor's edge of health and performance. Hi, everybody. We're back with another edition of The Body I.O. with uh, your host, me, Kiefer, and our regular guest, Dr. Rocky Patel. Hello, Kiefer. And today we've got the best-selling author of The Calorie Myth, Jonathan Baylor, on our show. Hello. Uh, Yep. I was just about to prompt you in in case you didn't just jump in on your own. (laughs) So, you know, my audience loves the arguments of calories in, calories out, why that doesn't hold, you know, all the myths around that. So this is the perfect topic um, to bring to them and for any of them who don't know about your book yet. Um, I thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about it and then we could discuss uh, the topic at, at length, as much length as we can. Absolutely. That would be delightful. And I, I'm, I'm happy to be able to get into a little bit more on this show because I've been doing a, a lot of uh, like Fox and Friends, for example, which is amazing, right. but we're not able to get as deep as I would like on those shows. So the and, and I want to be really clear because I know your listeners are very, very savvy folks. The, the title of the book, sometimes people see that and they think it's one of these books that is saying that calories don't count at all. And that's not what it's saying. The calorie myth is not that calories don't exist. Of course, calories exist. The calorie myth is that the primary focus should be on calories, which, as, as you know, uh, Kiefer, from your work and Rocky, from your work and all your listeners know, calories are a part of a much, much bigger picture. And so that's the calorie myth. Right. It, it's a very, very simplistic tool that a lot of people use and they've latched onto because it's kind of easy for them to wrap some meaning around. And that's also why the only tool that you can use to supplement that is weight loss. You know, you can't use muscle loss you or you can't look at the muscle loss. You can't look at the bone loss. Um, you can't look if that actually made you healthier if your only focus is on this single little calorie concept. You know, it just doesn't pan out. Kiefer, you made a really good point about the ease of measurement, and that really is pervasive in health in general, right? Like the reason cholesterol gets so so much attention is because it's cheap and easy to measure cholesterol. It very well might not be the most predictive indicator of heart health, which it's not, right. but it's very easy to measure, so we use it a lot. And it, it's a quick anecdote, which if folks are talking to friends or family who aren't as technical, they could use to make this point. There is a a woman jogging out on the street and there is a man sitting on a bench. The the woman is jogging by and it's nighttime and she stops and she starts looking on the ground in a bit of a panic and holding her left eye. And the man who's sitting on the park bench is an older gentleman and he he sees that the the woman is in distress and so he gets up and he says, ma'am, are you okay? What's wrong? And the woman who's holding her eye and looking frantically around under this street light says, oh, my contact fell out. And he's like, oh, well, well, can I help you find it? And she's like, sure, sure, yeah, I'm just, and they're under the street light looking around and they can't find it, they can't find it. And he says, well, well ma'am, where did your contact fall out? And remember, they're, they're looking under the street light mm-hmm. by the park bench and she says, oh, uh, about six feet back that way, pointing <laughs> behind them. And he's like, well, 
why 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 are we looking over here? And she says, "Well, sir, the light's better." <laughs> right. So yeah, it's That's it's a perfect easy analogy. to look under the street light, but that doesn't mean it's the right place to look. <laughs> right. That is a perfect analogy. I've actually never heard that one before, so that that was pretty good. And that's what we do. We look at, you know, what are the really easy things to measure? I mean, how much easier is it to step on a scale in your bathroom? You know, it, it really doesn't get much easier than that. And you can look at that number every day and you can obsess about that number and you can equate it to how many calories you ate because if you get really, really low calories, you'll see that number move for a while. And that just reinforces it in most people's minds that, oh, well, it's got to be about calories because if I go down to 600 calories a day, all of a sudden my weight starts to go down. Um, and that's, they're just really such bad metrics to use when we want to look at health or fitness or aesthetics, anything you can imagine, like calories and weight are two of the worst things that we can use. And uh, so I thought we'd go ahead and turn this a little bit and like into your base arguments that you're using in the calorie myth and then we can get into some of the technical aspects of uh, efficiency or whatever if you'd like sure so the the point about the the most macro point as we've talked about is this it's a poor unit of measure all that fun stuff but also this idea of caloric balance calories in calories out so again there's individuals out there um let's say j michaels wait that's too obvious let's say jillian m who <laughs> like to just scream it's all about calories in calories out it's all about calories in calories out while they torture people and it's not that again it's not that calories in calories out don't exist it's just that think about every other system in your body think about your blood pressure think about your blood sugar think about maintaining electrolyte levels think about the level of vitamin c in your body or what about bone density the body, you have a brain for a reason. The brain is designed to balance out mission-critical functions automatically. Every single study that's been conducted, which measured calories and basal metabolic rate and yada, 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 shows that if we just cut calories, our body responds by cutting calories out. And if so we decrease calories in, our body says, okay, I'm going to decrease calories out. And if we increase calories in, the body increases calories out. So it's, we'll never have long-term, enjoyable, sustainable, healthy success by trying to override our brain, which is what calorie counting tries to do. It tries to take over a basic brain function. Instead, what we need to do is understand why that basic brain function becomes disrupted and how we can fix the system itself. And that's not through counting calories. You'll never fix a clogged sink by putting less water in it. You fix it by unclogging it. And that's what we need to do. We need to focus on higher quality food and higher quality exercise to unclog our brains and our bodies. Right. The, the, the argument almost becomes moot. Um, and this is kind of the position I'm moving towards when people want to engage in, well, a calorie of carbs is the same as a calorie of fat or whatever, you know, we can show that it's not. You know, there's thermodynamic processes that show the wastefulness that can happen when you convert to a fat-burning uh, metabolism. But, you know, conversely, what really happens is carbohydrates make us more efficient, um, both at expending energy and storing energy. So we can look at all those things and show how, you know, you get, you get different disposal, you get different energy usage, um, the body becomes more efficient, less efficient, all this kind of stuff. Um, 
you know, we can even show that gut motility has a lot to do with that because if you are eating particular foods or in a particular way and you pass food through more quickly, then it doesn't matter that you got a big caloric load. Your body just didn't have a chance to to process it. So it's, it's kind of moving towards this argument is of it really, the calorie argument is almost moot. It's almost really not even worth talking about anymore, um, which is your point. And that's What's more important is let's talk about the foods that those calories come from and what it is that those foods do, I think is, is really the main premise that we're moving towards. Exactly. And the mainstream is catching on and it has to be true. For example, this might be a stupid argument, but, but it resonates with a lot of people. Cigarettes don't have any calories in them. Right. Right. That doesn't mean they're okay to eat. Diet soda doesn't have any calories in it. Cocaine also doesn't have any calories in it. Insulin doesn't have any calories in it. But like if you put any of those things in your body, they have an effect. So why, yeah. <laughs> why, like, why don't we talk about effects and how to change them to be positive rather than debating calories? It's like, is, is our goal to have fun internet discussion board debates or to help people not suffer and die anymore that's uh you know uh, it's kind of an interesting segue i'll save that a little bit but that is a very very huge point that most people don't understand you know if if you all of a sudden turn the discussion to not what food you ate or the calories it had but what happens endocrinologically I mean across the board you start to get a very very different picture there's no way that you could ever think that a calorie of carbohydrates is the same as a calorie of fats when you look at what happens when you ingest carbohydrates you get this surge of insulin which turns on several metabolic pathways in the liver to favor maybe not necessarily fatty acid production from carbohydrates but three carbon precursors to the triglyceride molecule, which you need those those backbones to form triglycerides, it increases the efficiency in fat cells of absorbing those triglycerides and of the raw components to store them. It doesn't allow fat cells to release that. Uh, you know, you get tons and tons of effects. It actually turns off your muscle skeletal muscles' ability to utilize its internal glycogen stores. Uh, so you're dependent on blood sugar, which is why you can gas out more quickly. Um, it turns off certain beneficial processes in the brain that allow neurons to become clean and healthy. You know, when you, when you just look at just insulin, I mean, we're talking about one hormone in the body out of hundreds, and you look at its effects, all of which you can release just by eating any glucose-based type of carbohydrate, you, you've got to pause. You've got to just pause for a second and think, okay, how stupid is it that we only look at calories? Kiefer, that is a brilliant, brilliant point. And here, this is a, a, a bit of a metaphysical point, but it was something that came to me while I was falling asleep like three months ago. I don't share it very often because it, it doesn't resonate with everyone, but I think it will resonate with you and your audience. And that's as follows. So people who argue that everything that has calories is the same, I mean, that's the basic argument. Every, yeah. It's yeah. just about calories. So everything that has calories is the same. Okay. If that logic is true, if that logic is sound, that everything that has calories is the same, then wouldn't it hold that everything that doesn't have calories is the same? So is Flomax the same as Zocor? 
Like they neither right. one has calories. Right. And so are they the same because they have zero calories? Is 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 heroin the same as baby aspirin because they both don't have they both have zero calories. Right. So they're the same. So you know, Jonathan, I think that um, you know, just to chime in here. The way I explain to patients and clinically, because clinically all we have are calories, at least that's the patient uh, perspective, um, and all they have is their scale. And so those are the paradigms that most clinical providers have to work with. Um, but, you know, as you, as you both, both you and Kiefer have described, there is this heterogeneity in response. And I kind of explain it to my patients that you have got a black box between your mouth and your rear end. And that block box is is eluding, is eluding the way to figure out uh, and 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 diluting what's going on as well. But then you also have you have heterogeneity in response. And I guess to play devil's advocate as a calorie counter, let's say, you know, there was a recent um, article I saw online. Um, there was a teacher in the Midwest. I think his 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 um, students put him on an all McDonald's diet. And, and it was limited to 2,000 calories a day. So obviously we don't know what his intake was and what it was beforehand, but he dropped 35 pounds and had some pretty impressive pictures that he had posted online. Um, so the question there is obviously those calories that he was eating probably were not of the best quality, right. but, but he had this response. So the question then, because it goes is, even though he had poor quality food and he dropped weight, is he healthier? I saw this kind of debated on on Twitter. So that's the that's the that's the conundrum I think that uh, goes along with this. And you could you, yeah, you, think, you, you you could substitute Twinkie diet, potato diet, or whatever right. is going to be. And I I totally agree with you. And I I I'm thankful that at least I think. Um, the, the argument people like myself, people like Kiefer are making is not that starvation doesn't lead to weight loss. It, it absolutely leads to weight loss. You could look at, for example, war-torn countries where there is a shortage of food. People lose weight. Uh, that said, sawing off your right leg also makes you lose a lot of weight. And actually, you permanently keep that weight off. The question is, is it a healthy, sustainable, recommended way to lose weight? I often use an analogy of if you have weeds in your garden and you say the answer is to stop watering your garden to get rid of your weeds, like it will kill all the weeds, but it will also destroy your garden. So does it work? We have to define what works means. Yeah, that that's a good point. Have you ever seen the movie Fathead? Oh, yes. And I've met Tom Naughton personally, and he oh. is awesome. Yeah, I love that movie because, you know, it's basically looks at um, Super Size Me and kind of knocks it off as a bit of a canard. And he does the same thing. He goes on this McDonald's diet, and at the end of the study, or at the end of his trial, whatever, he ended up losing, I think, you know, like five or ten pounds, which his doctor was amazed. But then they looked at his blood work, which, you know, they might not have been looking at the best markers, but it didn't really come back looking... Um, very promising so he did lose some <clears throat> some weight they didn't look at what type of weight he lost um but you know it, it didn't look like it really helped his his health profile much at all actually i thought it did i, I no thought... no his his blood work came back bad that they were oh. surprised or well they his doctor wasn't too surprised by that yeah i was under the impression that his his actually his numbers actually improved but maybe i'm just mistaken no no i'm, I'm well, pretty and here, sure here's a 
interesting uh, insider scoop. So I, I had a chance to go on the low carbohydrate cruise and, and Tom was there, got a chance to t- chat with him, actually got an extended director's cut of the movie. Oh, nice. And here's the, here's the follow up. So Tom, who did exactly this experiment, now lives on a farm because he has and is, is a big, big food quality nut. Because he, his personal experience is that through manipulating the quality of what he eats rather than the quantity of what he eats, he exercises like very, very atypically according to the mainstream and he, he focuses on just the highest quality sources of food he can and he's got these amazing before and after pictures. So it's, it's interesting and maybe potentially ironic that someone with no agenda who went on one of these types of experiments then ended up coming to the conclusion of if I take care of food quality my brain will take care of calorie quantity for me yeah that's uh would love to have a conversation with him to just kind of the the mental process of that because you know from from his McDonald's diet it was like well you know I didn't do too bad on it it shows that you know, it calories do kind of matter a little bit, <clears throat> but sorry, uh, pardon the throat clearing, but we just, we just had a, a talk with uh, Dr. D'Agostino who's doing some great research, cancer research and low carb diets. And as we talked to him, what really struck me about what he's now able to quantify and demonstrate directly is exactly what Dr. Bruce Ames spoke about. 60 years ago and if if you don't know dr ames he's um study he works at the oncology center at oakland's children's hospital and um he's been studying cancer and uh causes of cancer and um, mitochondrial health surprisingly for the last like 60 years 70 years and you know he started to look at what the food we put in the quality is incredibly important because and this was 50 years ago, he started to realize that most of the health effects that we see, most of the problems that we see, all start at the mitochondria. And one thing that really made him suspicious is the way we do cancer studies, where we take mice and we overload them with some chemical. It doesn't matter if it's a natural chemical or if it's a synthetic chemical, but if you overload a mouse with it, the results are 50-50. It's literally a coin toss whether these chemicals will be carcinogenic or not. And he started looking at this data and he said, you know, this just doesn't make sense. Like we can't ingest this many chemicals that sometimes show that they are healthy when in these studies we're showing they're carcinogenic. And so what he started to look at is if you overload the system with any one thing or any junk for too long, the mitochondria start to become really sick. And I think that's where this argument of food quality becomes so important in our culture um, that really makes a lot of the calorie advocates scared because they can't explain away the food quality parts. Like, well, it shouldn't matter. There shouldn't be any difference between McDonald's and, you know, all farm-raised stuff that you grass-fed beef. There should be no difference. And I think this argument is going to really come up even more and more in in the next couple years that the quality there there's really going to be no way 
to find an argument around this quality argument. And Kiefer, I think the the good news also is that, to my knowledge, at, at least, there is nobody. Let's call it the in the quality camp, who like the the, the quantity camp is a very absolutist extreme camp. Yes. They're saying it's just <laughs> it's it's just calorie quantity. Right. Having an extreme position like that is very difficult to defend. Whereas individuals such as I believe yourself and myself are saying. Yeah, it's not that calories don't exist. If you drink 10,000 calories of butter every day for a year, you're going to gain weight. The good news is that nobody drinks 10,000 calories of butter per day for a year. Right. So, I mean, we have this much more scientific and, and reasonable approach. It's also just, and I've, I've been amazed to see this when, I, when I'm speaking more in the mainstream, is there is an undeniable intuitive argument in the sense that no one knew what a calorie was, let alone count them, prior to the obesity epidemic so how could consciously counting calories be required to reverse it or how about the fact that no other species on the planet can even conceptualize what a calorie was yet in their natural environment they somehow seem to effortlessly avoid obesity or how about any other thing you put in your mouth like vitamin c or vitamin a or vitamin d or thiamine or riboflavin why don't you need to consciously monitor vitamin c in and vitamin c out there is no rational defense for disagreeing with any three of those any of those three points because they're 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 self-evident so I don't even understand why there are still people that hold on to this this calorie myth. I don't get it. You know, I I think because it kind of feeds into this psyche of, well, if it's calories in, calories out, then we can blame it on the individual, and it's all a matter of willpower. It's all a matter of willpower, and people kind of latch onto these ideas that it's their failing. You know, I think that's why CrossFit is so popular because people feel like they need to be abused. Um, and, and I might be going too far here, obviously. But, you know, there's kind of this – it makes it really easy for people at the top or people making policy to ignore the actual problem, which is, you know, the obesity ep- epidemic, and now place blame directly on the individual and say, well, you, you know, it's just because you're eating too much. It's completely your fault. We don't need to take responsibility. We don't need to come up with measures to take care of your health care or things like that because it's your fault. You're eating too much. Um, and, and Kiefer, you, yeah, you're not taking it too, too far at all. In fact, we're releasing a little short video this week that says exactly what you just said, which is that is the only defense. There is no scientific defense. It's a moralistic argument. And here's the fun thing. I mean, it's really not fun. But <laughs> I, like anyone, I would, I love, I want to get on a, a big public forum with one of these individuals who, who preaches this mythology and ask them point blank, sir or ma'am, are you saying that 70% of the American population is stupid, lazy, or both, yes or no? Because to me, that's the only defense for the calorie argument. If you honestly believe that calories are all that matter, you have to also believe that 70% of the American population is either stupid, lazy, or both. Well, I think, you know, in addition to that, I mean, you know, the calorie, however inaccurate or accurate you want to portray it, um, is the 
no, lack of a better word, standard of care in terms of tracking, so to speak. And, and then if you come back to food quality, um, you don't really have that measurable unit, so to speak. So you can't say, I have two pieces of broccoli. Which one is the better quality broccoli? It doesn't exist. So I, I think you also have to fight against, against that mentality as well, where people really don't know what's a good quality food, honestly speaking, as sad as that may seem. Rocky, it's an excellent point, and I'm going to do a quick plug, and this is actually the first time I've mentioned this publicly, <laughs> so forgive me. Uh, we, we actually have a patent-pending application in the works which is going to attempt to provide a unit of measure that is the, let's call it calories for quality. It's, it's not going to be a scientific measure. It's not, you know, it's not something that we would reduce to clinical practice, but it's going to be something that is going to help to call it calories 2.0, the, the one measure for food quality. And certainly it's something we're going to need to collaborate on over time, but we believe it's a step in the right direction. That's a really interesting concept. I mean, to basically the standard nutritional facts on products is pretty much junk. It doesn't really tell you. Most people have no idea how to relate that to anything other than that calories at the top. I mean, a, a simple label <laughs> that you could literally like look at it and even just look at the color, be like, oh, okay, this is the quality of this is X, Y, or Z. I can at least, I can't put a quantity on it, but I can put it relative to other things. I think that's kind of the key is how to help people put foods relative to one another. Well, I think that the, the visual implication is really, I think, what would probably strike with, with the public. Um, I know when we look at lab values with patients, you know, a lot of our reports kind of go on that um, traffic light system, red, green, and yellow. And you should see the responses we get when patients are basically all red. Um, there's a there's a drastic response to that. So that's something I think that would be really, um, you know, intuitively would be helpful probably for, for people to look at. I love the point about relativity, <clears throat> excuse me, because that is so important, is even around the grain arguments. People lose sight of that food is, food is a zero-sum game. If you tell someone to fill half their plate up with whole grains, that's actually not what you're saying. What you're saying is fill up half your plate with whole grains instead of green leafy vegetables, for example. So I think that that holding food relative to other food is so important. And, and we do lose sight of that. People just say, oh, well, whole grains are good for you. Well, relative to what? Relative to right. rocks? Yes. Yeah. Relative to <laughs> McDonald's? Yeah, you could make a plausible argument there. But relative to, like you said, a green leafy vegetable, not so much. Or even, as I would argue, a, a nice piece of grass-fed beef, you know, it's it's not as healthy relatively. Um, and of course, you know, the concept of relativity and diet is going to come from a physicist or at least be <laughs> mentioned by one. So, uh, that, that's a really interesting idea. And, um, I actually hadn't really thought about that. So is that basically what your system is, is doing is to help people understand, you know, there's some, I, I don't know what you would use as your base, uh, for the relativity scale or your pinnacle, um, but you, you kind of help people to be able to place food in that spectrum? Kind of. It's also, it, it, you know, calories are about less. Mm -hmm. And that's really not a good mindset. This, this idea of it's negative and you want less. If you look at basic human psychology, for example, telling people to increase their score, people like 
high scores. People yeah. like going for a high score. So it's quite easy to assign scores to food groups and then to allow people to play a game conceptually right. which in which they try to use the quality of food they're eating to maximize their score. Yeah, that's brilliant. Unlike even uh, Weight, Weight Watchers does the negative, correct? They're not trying to increase their score. They're trying to keep their scores as, as low as possible. Is that correct? Exactly. It's, it's a euphemism yeah. for calorie counting. It's a point yep. system. So they we're just going to take two zeros off. If, instead of this right. being 100 calories, it's one point. Yay! Right. <laughs> and then we can mask some things in there. We'll say, okay, well, fruit's zero points. So eat as much of that as you want. And this is zero points. So it allows them to really mask poor qualities of their diet behind these points um, which is a shame and and I would assume and they've been very very careful to try to keep their algorithm secret from people which is also very annoying um, I would assume that if I assume you're probably going to look at some sort of copyright or process patent so that you could at least explain where your where this score comes from Absolutely, yeah. Okay. It is. It is currently provisionally patented. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me, because patents are expensive as hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like seventy thousand dollars on average, if if people don't know that. Exactly. But the the key thing, though, is, I think there is a false need for precision for the vast majority of the population, because when you think about how we avoided obesity for every single generation that ever lived except the current three, it wasn't because we measured precisely. Like it wasn't the precision or the hardcore precision we had. It's because we had the general concepts correct. In fact, we've basically built a nutritional tower of Babel. We, it's like we built this giant tower of nutritional knowledge and we've become, and, and, and our health has collapsed underneath us. So, so our system is not one where we're like, oh my God, it is the most precise, scientifically rigorous. It's more like, look, not dying isn't hard, as evidenced by every single person who lived prior to the previous three generations and by every other species on the planet. Here's a fun game that will help you stop doing math and start enjoying food again based on the quality of that food. That's <clears throat> the, what you said about precision is really key because we act as though the human body at least in each individual is exactly identical every day and is going to act identically every day and that we can parameterize it to such detail that one or two calories difference is going to make some difference in our body and this is just absolutely asinine i mean the body is an incredibly adaptive machine and it changes from day to day and it literally changes from morning to evening and to think that we can control one parameter so tightly when we can't even define the mechanism within any realm of precision whatsoever, you know, currently, is kind of asinine that you're, you're going to try to cr control something that has such a wide window of activity and ranges and possibilities with something so granular, I, I guess is the right word, you know, where every single calorie matters. It's it's exactly what you said. It's, it's kind of, it's asinine really. And you know, what matters is this just, what's the overall overarching structure that's a lot simpler 
and simpler structures can usually handle much more diverse cases. And the body is a diverse system, period. And I don't care if you're talking about just one individual. That individual's metabolism goes through diverse changes from day to day, from morning to evening, from month to month. Um, so to think that your precise control over your calories is going to have any effect on what your body does is is a little bit asinine. And I'm going to try I to agree. use asinine one more time before this this conversation is <laughs> over. But you know, in, you know, just to again play devil's advocate a little bit, uh, damn it, Rocky, as the as the as the <laughs> clinical provider, because you know, obviously, as as, as a provider, um, you know, our time is limited with our patients, and what we can recommend is limited. Um, I think you have to at least use the the standpoint of the calorie count as a, as a jumping off point. Obviously, I mean, so that's the place you start, and then maybe you diverge after that, right? I mean, well, yeah, I mean, I I agree with that. That there, there's it's not useless. I mean, it's a good starting point. You know, it gives somebody some idea of where they're at. Um, but I also think that they have to understand that. Okay, the, this calorie range that we found for you that works this week is maybe not the same calorie range that's going to be applicable next week or the week after that. That's why we have to help you understand more about the food you eat and your food choices so you can pay attention less to this number that ultimately is going to be meaningless in your life. I, I think and, that, and I'll, I'll go ahead, John. I'll, so I was just going to say I um, so my my take on this it's not that calories again are are meaningless there's in fact if you squint the number of calories that you eat in a day the number of calories it takes to make you feel energized and satisfied is an approximation for the quality of the food you're eating because like if a hundred and fifty pound sixty five year old woman has to eat four thousand calories to feel full we can kind of reverse engineer the quality of her diet because she must be eating addictive, non-satisfying, processed sugars and non-food like trans fats. Otherwise, she would never naturally consume consistently that quantity of calories. So I, again, I don't think it's meaningless. I just think it's, it's far from the lead argument. Would you like to comment on that, Rocky? Well, I, I, I guess <laughs> he, he's got this weird look. On his well, face. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking of, of that statement, and I'm like, well, you know, if, if so, again, I don't, I just, I always like the devil advocate's flip side because it's all, it keeps us honest, right? So, I, I guess then, if let's take the cherry turnover for example, it's a, a, a favorite of Kiefer's, and you know, probably not the most nutritive food, um, but they're delicious. And uh, if we are trying to get more nutrients in our body, why is that that reinforcement to eat more of the cherry turnover? Because it is a delicious food. Wouldn't, wouldn't we have to have some type of self-regulation in our brain to eventually get to a negative feedback there to say, okay, maybe I should maybe eat some broccoli or some grass-fed beef or something that effect that gives me the nutrients that I need. See, on my flip side of the argument, I would say that would eventually happen. What what I would see is with with these kind of foods like cherry turnovers. I mean, I'm using them for very specific reasons, obviously, but you know, your your body is actually I think asking you for the complementary nutrients. You know, 
we're getting what would potentially be, and this is kind of an abstract argument, and um, and I'm just playing devil's advocate, but it, you know, it could be that the body is essentially asking, okay, well, where are the other things I need? Where are the vitamins and minerals and all this stuff that usually come with this? Where's the protein and amino acids that I should normally get? And so your satiety signal never goes off. You just keep ingesting because you're not getting those things. And, and sometimes we see that in people who backload if they backload with something that's uh, protein rich with their carbs, they tend to eat less. So the filter is broken. Yes, yes, exactly. And when we say negative, I actually, and I'll take, I, I think I agree. And a slightly different way of saying what you just said is I, I do think there is a negative feedback loop. For example, infertility, autoimmune disease, depression, weight gain, diabetes, mood swings, inability to sleep. The disease, rampant disease, is the body re- saying stop, like what, it's pain, it's another form of pain. If you touch a hot stove, you feel pain because your body is trying to say stop doing that. Right. There's other forms of pain, infertility, obesity, weight gain, those are very painful things. That's the body saying stop. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I, I tried to make this argument that just <clears throat> did not stick or resonate with people, gosh, almost 10 years ago. And that's the more I learned about diabetes, the more I was like, oh my gosh, diabetes is a protective mechanism for the human body. It's the point where it says, okay, we've gained enough fat. We've got enough extra energy. We need to stop this. There's still more and more calories coming in that and more and more food sources that are trying to make us fat, they're releasing insulin, and we just need to stop. We have to stop. And that's what diabetes is really is. It's a protective mechanism for the body. And then, so the first thing we do is we give somebody drugs so that they can override that signal. Instead of saying, okay, let's look at the food you're eating and why is your body fighting against you? And it's because you're trying to tell it to do something that it, it's done. It's completely done doing that. It's energy stores are filled up. It doesn't need any more. And it's trying to tell you that. Um, but again, like you just said, we ignore those signals for what they are. We think of them as some weird, oh, well, I slept with my cell phone under my pillow last night. Therefore, my Alzheimer's must have been caused from that. You know, we, we, <laughs> we look for these weird little peculiar things because those are easier that we think to fix. It's a lot easier to say, okay, we'll never sleep with your cell phone under your pillow. Um, then it is say, well, what you need to do is completely revamp your diet because we found that carbohydrates can exacerbate the processes that lead to Alzheimer's. Um, nobody wants to hear that. They just would rather just not sleep with their cell phone. <laughs> exactly. So we, we've run through uh, over 30 minutes with you, and I know you had a very limited engagement with us um, so I'm going to give you the opportunity to bow out gracefully if you'd like, or, um, <laughs> I've been, I've been beaten down. No, no, actually, I, I think you've done great. I just don't want you to have to be like, all right, I'm done guys. I got to get out of here. Um, so, you know, if, if we've used up your time wisely, well, I, well, yeah. I, I very much appreciate it. It's been a great conversation so far. Absolutely. Yeah. Kiefer and Rocky, thank you so much for, for having me on. And if folks do want to check out the, the book, which, Again, I feel I feel so blessed and thankful for the support we've seen so far. We just found out this this morning, literally the day we're recording this show, 
that it is uh, debuting on the New York Times bestseller list. So that that really encourages me because there's a lot of supposedly radical concepts in the book, mm -hmm. according to the mainstream. <laughs> and the fact that it's seeing mainstream adoption really encourages me. So if folks do want to check that out, it would be amazing. It's called The Calorie Myth Book. Or excuse me, it's called The Calorie Myth. <laughs> and the website is caloriemythbook.com. Excellent. So thanks again for being on the show with us. And uh, we'll put some links up to the book and make sure people get a look at that. Awesome. Thank you, Kiefer and Rocky. Have a good one. You too. Right. You too, Jonathan. All right. So that was Jonathan Baylor, everybody. I've, I've been on his podcast before. Um, always enjoyable to talk to. And uh, Rocky and I are obviously didn't see eye to eye on this uh, feedback mechanism that should exist that apparently doesn't exist. And, you know, Rocky's got some really good points that are hard to argue against, especially with his, his uh, clinical work. So... Well, you know, I, I, I always kind of go back and forth on this calories in, calories out. Uh, I suppose it just depends on the, the wind of the day. But, you know, I, I think we both agree that calories do matter. And you can't drink, uh, I think if I remember from the forum days, uh, 10, you know, 10, 10, you know uh, 10 servings of olive oil a day. Or well, that, that one guy yeah. was literally yeah. consuming above his normal caloric load like another 6,000 calories of olive oil a yeah. day. So, I mean, obviously, from a, macro, from a macronutrient standpoint and just volume standpoint, it, it, that matters. But, you know, I guess the issue, and I thought Jonathan made a great point about the whole, well, you are getting a feedback mechanism. You're getting diabetes. You're getting Alzheimer's dementia. You're getting Crohn's disease. But, you know, one would think, you know, our, our, we're about survival. We're about trying to perpetuate our, our genetic code. And, and if that's the case, why isn't that message being seen by the 70% of population that's obese? I mean, that, those should be the clues, um, but the higher function in the brain is not getting the message. Maybe we've learned to ignore it. I mean, to be honest, so this is a perfect one to, to talk about, um, in my opinion, <clears throat> and there's unfortunately not a, re a lot of research on this, but I, I think gut health ties into it strongly um you know naturally if you look at a baby a human baby they crap pretty much every time they eat you know if you, if you feed them three times a day they're going to crap three times a day usually pretty much in sync there but as we get older we're told to hold it we've got this signal that is telling us we need to go to the bathroom but then we've got this societal pressure that says don't and so we actually have learned to suppress that that mechanism that's trying to keep food moving through us on average the average adult will hold food will take a dump like it's once every 36 hours that's the average that's horrible that you've got this toxic waste sitting in your gut for 36 hours i mean you can use the tracer method to see what your time course is which i call the tracer method make sure you don't eat any corn for a couple weeks and then eat corn at one meal and see when it comes out the other end. I know this sounds weird, but you know my pass-through rate is literally six to eight hours. Well, I guess then. Um, again, so all I'm saying is maybe we've just been taught to ignore these signals. Like if you eat, if you go out and eat Big Mac, or if you've been on carb night, here's a really good example. If you've been on carb night and you don't eat carbs, and then you have carbs on your carb night, you feel an amplified effect of a lot of different things right? Yeah, you feel kind of woozy, your temperature goes up, things like that. Um, you know, that happens to most people in after they eat breakfast, they all go through this lull in the 
right afterwards, not too long after, where, you know, they get sleepy, nap time, people talk about all that that all the time, but we've learned to ignore that signal as something else. Well, that almost comes up to a more, you know, for lack of a better word, perverse, slow, uh, almost integral-like um, uh, nature of, well, then is that because the way our society is driven now and, and, and all those small little things that accumulate, maybe it's the... Um, pressure to hold your urine or your stool because of your job function or maybe it's because we're being exposed to all kinds of electromagnetic fields or 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 to you know whatever you know thing you want to pull on and it's those cumulative effects but I always kind of I I find this I go back to this guy who ate McDonald's and lost 35 pounds I always come back to that because you know the question is is he healthier and I'm gonna say yes he lost weight he lost fat tissue I, I bet you his arteries are healthier yeah, so in a, in a way that kind of says okay, well, and maybe he hasn't gotten to the point where the quality of food matters for him because he's just had right, so much. Right, because he was much. so sick. He was yep. so sick to begin we, with. We've right? had this discussion yeah. before, right, where people blame all of their health problems on one thing like microtoxins and coffee when they were amazingly sick and they dropped a bunch of weight and they did all these things at once that you can't really say it was one particular thing because you were just so sick that now almost anything you would do would make you feel better would make you right. healthier right and and that certainly would explain a lot of the different different diets that are out there whether it's a vegetarian diet or a vegan diet or an ornish diet or, or a, a paleo atkins diet, diet. Yeah, or, or an atkins diet it, it could be that maybe your baseline is so bad um, any change from that baseline is going to make you healthier right but i guess then the question is uh, and this is obviously rhetorical is that are, are those mcdonald french fries making his gut healthier <laughs> if if they're cold, we might be able to make the argument that they are because they're going to have more resistant starch. Well, that's another tube to go down, right? <laughs> Speaking of tubes to go down, um, I you know I I think you can make arguments, and obviously these are arguments that I would make because cherry turnovers are considered almost equivalent to McDonald's. There's arguments you can make that eating foods like that periodically and this period could be you know once every couple months once every six months whatever can actually be defined as healthy and part of that is you know because one thing uh, they've done some really interesting research lately to show that part of what's helped humanity to survive so long is their immune system Um, and and by so long i mean to live so long compared to other primates you know, chimps, the next closest, live like 25, 30 years, something like that. We've got no problem living 70, 80 years. And they think one of the cumulative reasons for that is how advanced our immune system is. And one thing that made our immune system so advanced was the variety of stuff that we started to eat, in particular, animal products that weren't always fresh. So we were eating some of the internals of... Um, a slaughtered animal's digestive tract, which is horrible to think about, but we probably did. Um, And we would have eaten rotting meat. We would have eaten rancid fats. And it was actually this periodic introduction of these things that gave us a really strong immune system. And periodically, it helped to strengthen the immune system each time. And I kind of see the body that way too. Like McDonald's has a lot of stuff in it that's probably not what your body wants to exist on but introducing it every once in a while 
I would argue makes it stronger. So basically, a hormetic response. Yes. Basically. Yeah, I so, didn't want to use hormetic yet, but <laughs> so so the so it is possible or conceivable that this teacher has has he's getting his hormetic response from McDonald's, but he hasn't reached his toxic level. So for this, for, I for I, I would argue differently. I would argue like we were talking about before that he was so sick that just limiting its calories and eating a balanced diet, macronutrient wise. I mean, you got to admit if you eat McDonald's every day and that's your diet you could probably do a pretty good job of balancing protein in in that diet you could have a good protein fat ratio that you wouldn't normally have um so just increasing that one nutrient you know you can show that you can become healthier just by introducing an extra i think it's 20 grams of lean protein per day it can like lower cholesterol levels it can do all these great things so you know, if he was all of a sudden getting more protein, we don't know what his diet was like before. He could have been really sick. I mean, he could have literally been living on potato chips and pork rinds. They could be drinking beer every night. Who knows? Yeah, I mean. yeah. And so, and if we change that suddenly, and that at least there's a balance in the very, very basic things that his body needs, which the body needs fats and proteins, that could have made a pretty big yeah. difference in making him healthier than he was and, and honestly there was no detail on how his students you know right. set it up anyways all, all the article he said it was, it was kept at 2,000 calories yeah so he was limited to that so and and know. who knows if he even made sure i mean I, I don't know all the details of this thing but but you always find these kind of stories fascinating and like i said on uh, with jonathan it could be the potato guy up in i think northwest or the twinkie guy or whatever food you want to pick um so i think that Again, coming back to heterogeneity, to response, the, the, the variability in response um, almost in a way puts it a monkey wrench in, into it because it provides fuel for both sides to argue, yeah. I suppose. So. Yep. All right. Well, we're going to leave it there before Rocky and I start arguing about something else. Um, but it's a great show. Thanks again to, for Jonathan being on the show. His book, The Calorie Myth, uh, apparently a New York Times bestseller now. You might want to check that out. Um, he is full of excellent analogies, so I'm going to imagine the, the book is packed with those. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Body IOFM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more science from the pinnacle of human health and performance.